Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On this week's episode, Jaime interviews Sonia Cayman Echevarria, and they talk about living right side up in an upside down world through our vocation as they discuss Sonia's work serving among and learning from those that Jesus would call blessed. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of the On The Way podcast. My name is Jaime, I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I have the privilege of having Sonia Cayman Echevarria with me today. Sonia, would you say hi to our audience? Hi everybody. Uh, Sonia, you have you and Paul have uh, two amazing kids. Uh, why don't you tell me something that you really appreciate, that you find amazing about each of them? Um, I think Evelyn, who's 11 and our firstborn, I think she's um, very brave. Um, she, like most young ladies, have really, she, she's really like gone through different um extracurricular activities, dance, gymnastics, soccer, and is now really um, doing well and flourishing in lacrosse, which I never expected she would do or Mm -hmm. um, really do well in. Um, She takes after her father, very athletic and coordinated, unlike myself. Um, (laughs) So I, I admire how she's just gone into something so new, has done well. She's actually the goalie, which in and of itself takes a lot of courage and bravery and um, never really, you know, very discouraged when she gets scored on. She's just so, um, she's just so brave. I'm just so proud of her. James, our youngest, our um, seven-year-old, is um, a bolt of lightning. He's electric. (laughs) He's charming he is so compassionate and friendly and I just am in awe of not only his energy level but this ability to find something amazing about every single moment and just really enjoying the people that he's around you know like he makes friends really quickly he sees a baby and wants to hug it he sees a new person he wants to introduce himself like he's just a hundred percent himself comfortable and loving all the time and it could be overwhelming um but also just so innocent and and amazing so yeah those are our two kids yeah well y'all y'all are a great family and we love having you. you here at uh, chatham community church uh tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself i mean we already know you're married you have two amazing kids mm-hmm. but tell us a little bit more about sonia um, well, I was born in Puerto Rico. Oh. Um, both my parents are Puerto Rican. Um, when I was very young, um, not even two years old, my dad, um, we left, my dad joined the Navy, so we left um, the island and, and moved to the mainland um, after some um you know, back and forth um, as far as the Navy goes, you know, the military, you you change, you move jobs, you are, um, you know, redirected to different states. After all that, um, my dad had the opportunity to um, de-enlist and we moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, where he got a job with the Special Warfare Center in school at Fort Bragg. Wow. So at nine years old, I... Um, 
we moved here and I grew up in Fayetteville. I um, eventually went to UNC, Chapel Hill, for my undergrad. Okay. And so you're a Tar Heel? I'm a Tar Heel, yep. And um, that's where I met Paul. And we just kind of settled in and made our life and our family here. Well, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, yeah. uh, you know, as part of your life, you not only uh, are, are part of our church, you're, you're a small group leader along with Paul, you're raising two amazing kids. Uh, you also uh, hold down a, a nine to five. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about more more about that? Where do you work? What do you do? Uh, yeah, so um, I work at the Carborough Community Health Center. It is a federally qualified medical health center. Um, at this uh, clinic, in particular, because there's uh, ten clinics that fall under um, our company, which is called Piedmont Health Services. Mm-hmm. Um, we practice uh, integrated behavioral health. What what that means is that there is a licensed clinical social worker or like myself, a licensed clinical mental health counselor at each site to provide consultation. Uh, So my title is the behavioral health consultant. And so what I do is I see patients and consult with their general practitioner to provide additional support if it's traditional mental health concerns like depression, anxiety, but also if they're having um, problems with sleep, if they need additional education on how to manage their diabetes or hypertension, I provide that additional support. And have you been doing this for most of your professional career? Um, yes, I mean, so I've been with Piedmont Health for about 10 years. Um, the behavioral health consultant role is relatively new. It hasn't been around very long, about four years. But my professional training and career has been um, with the mental health uh, community and providing um, that support to individuals that have those conditions. Yeah, what drew you to that? You know, I, as a child, um, was described as talkative, um, one that uh, really um, was an advocate for those who couldn't really share what was going on, or, you know, they used to call me the little lawyer in (laughs) elementary school. I really felt the need to advocate for people, and as I grew older in Fayetteville, there's a lot of diversity, and in Chapel Hill, not as much and so as I was um, really learning about what I enjoyed learning about and what I had a passion for um, I really had a passion for individuals in the Latino community specifically um, those underserved um, the impoverished neglected those that needed advocates and especially the individuals who had difficulty in learning, understanding some sort of um, malfunction and really interpreting what the environment's giving you and, and, and being misinterpreted by the community. So I always felt a passion for advocating for those people. Yeah. What, what's important to you about uh, speaking for those who can't speak for themselves or advocating for those who may be, whose voices may be diminished or not heard as much? Um, well... I feel that, um, you know, there's so many instances where individuals um, may be treated unfairly or not have the same privileges as others. 
And so um, I always felt as a woman who has been given so much and has a position of privilege, people could say, um, I felt the responsibility not only as a Latina woman but as a Christian to really um, shine a light on things that maybe other people turn away from or feel uncomfortable um, noticing or talking about. And so I felt like it was an important thing to really show compassion for those who, who may not have the opportunities or may be prejudged or discriminated against. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it sounds like... Um like you integrated just your own sense of, of justice that you talked about having even as a child um, with a, a resonance with the heart of God in, in, in being in these spaces. Um, how do you see, where do you see the overlap between the work that you do and um, just your life as a follower of Jesus? Um, well, I, you know, in my role, at the clinic, because it's essentially a, a general practitioner's office, um, you know, there's so much need. People go to their doctor because they're not feeling well, but also because they, um, you know, are having a really difficult time and they don't understand how these heart palpitations really um, are getting worse just because they're going through a separation or they can't make ends meet or their job is changing or their kid is sick. And so, you know, when I am present, being able to help these people, I, I'm able to really sit with them, um, give them a space where they can unload, feel comfortable, um, and hopefully feel that someone is listening to them so they can ask for help if that's what they really need. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, have people feel, I mean, people feeling listened to is incredibly important. Uh, and yet it, 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 it seems like such a crucial need. Um, you know, something that feels so basic. So, so of course that makes sense. Uh, when you say that, and yet there are so many spaces where where that's not true, where people aren't heard, they aren't listened to, where there's where there's clearly a need for someone to step in and and validate them. Um, why do you think there are so many people, especially poor people or people in underserved communities, that are feeling or that feel uh, unheard and actually need someone to to say, "I'm hearing you, I'm listening to you." Wow, I mean, I think that's a difficult question because it's hard to generalize, but what I see from my small, um, you know, f from what I do every day, which could be seen as a, a, a very limited arena, um, I feel like there's so much going on right now mm -hmm. as far as... Um, limited resources, uh, the rush and hustle and bustle of the day-to-day -day life, um, the expectations that social media or just the media at large puts on us, um, cultural dynamics, you know, just speaking from the Latino community, um, 
from where I sit in that, um, there's a lot of hesitation in admitting that things are going wrong or mm-hmm. that they need help, um, that they're um, having symptoms of depression or anxiety, and there's a, a, a significant stigma, a negative stigma about that. And so when you talk about asking for help, not only does it imply a struggle mm-hmm. um, that we're failing in a way that maybe others aren't, um, but it also Im- necessitates vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, sometimes in order to survive, we have to put up barriers. We need armor. We need to um, protect ourselves. And so... Um, it's very difficult to set that armor that allows us to move forward and get the kids bathed and the dinner made and get to work and, you know, do what's necessary from the day-to-day, um, you know, from the day-to-day life standpoint. I think um, it's really difficult for people to be that vulnerable, especially to a stranger, especially to someone where they don't know whether or not you're an advocate, if you're on their team, a safe person to talk to, uh, if you are going to um, judge them negatively, or if you have some um, preconceived notion of who they are, what they're supposed to be, and if that will, you know, make them feel that they're failing in some way by your judgment, by your facial expression, by how you talk to them. So it, it could be very complicated. Um, each person's uh, perspective and point of view is so unique and, um, you know, individualistic for them. But I feel that ultimately the um, asking someone to be vulnerable, asking someone to admit that they're not 100% or they're, Failing in some way that's very important to them to them is is, is a lot to ask, and so um, in my role, really allowing them as, as as much as I can a non judgmental, peaceful space where they can attempt and hopefully succeed in asking for that help. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, there were two things that you uh, that you mentioned. You mentioned uh, some of the challenges. Uh, you put sort of a, a double-sided aspect to it. So one is where we're uh, we're a hustle and bustle culture, with lots of expectations and lots of movement. So on the one hand, there's not a lot of time to actually stop and listen, and pay attention to folks who maybe aren't in our normal sphere, um, mm-hmm. because oftentimes, for for many of us, unless we are living in communities with underserved or under-resourced people. We oftentimes don't see them. We don't necessarily frequent their neighborhoods. They're not in our social circles. And so that's one barrier to overcome. And then on the other hand, if you're from uh, that community, if you have that need, there's also an obstacle to overcome in actually admitting that you need help and being vulnerable and admitting, admitting that you have a place of, of weakness. Uh, and, and particularly, uh, you mentioned stigma around these things. And, and you know, being Puerto Rican as well, I, I grew up in a culture where you didn't talk about mental health needs. Um, you didn't admit that. Uh, and so it, it sounds like 
part of your job is you are a person who is uh, who gets to slow down for people and let them know that someone is paying attention. But at the same time, you have to cultivate an environment where they feel comfortable enough letting down their guard. Yeah. And sometimes that's not easy in a doctor's office, mm-hmm. right? When there's kids in the next room screaming and hollering because they're getting a vaccination or, you know, just the, you know, back and forth in the hallway with people, patients walking by. It, it can be difficult. I, I feel like, you know, really discussing how the demands that they're experiencing are ones that would cause these symptoms in anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, really sort of normalizing exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Normalizing their experience in the sense that they're not alone. Um, that this culture that we all live in, this American fast hustle, bustle um preoccupation with social media this culture in which we're living in um it really does um you know kind of nurture and 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 exacerbate these these ideas of you know i need to be okay all the time i need to have the next thing prepared i need to have my dinner prepared by 3 30 and talk about what dessert's going to be like and have the best fashion and have my kids be the best well behaved and I mean, it, it's a lot of pressure. Um, I need to earn the most. I need to have the flashiest car. I need to be uh, the smartest at all times. I mean, you know, this is an unrealistic expectation. And really meeting that person in that way. No one can meet these ideals, these these um, expectations. They're unrealistic. And... I understand that you might be feeling this way. Giving them the opportunity to say, well, man, I, I, I do feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily saying, you know, that's why you're depressed, but really unpacking um, with the time I have available, trying to unpack, you know, what's been going on, how they've been reacting to it, what are their methods of self-care and how they're um ex, you know excelling and or falling short um and as a result their experiences are what they are you know how can i partner with them along with their primary care physician so that we can make sure this person is as healthy as possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like you're stepping into a place where there's there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of vulnerability, there's a lot there's that's at risk, and and, and part of it, I mean, I assume sometimes the response isn't good, so you you take hits, yeah. but at the same time, you're also sharing in people's pain. I mean, when you draw people's pain or burden or anxiousness or or sadness out, you carry some of that with you. So, um, how does Jesus meet you in the midst of that, like? Where, where do you see God present with you? In, in so many ways. You know, I, I think it, 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 as a person, like for me personally, I'm, I can be very anxious, um, very thin-skinned, but I think that also makes me a good counselor. I feel that I can 
build rapport with a person pretty quickly. Um, and that's because I, I myself try to be vulnerable. I think people can really sense if you're, um, you know, if you have a facade of, you know, I'm awesome or I'm, I have it all together. I think that really pushes people away. And so in order to do my job well, I have to be vulnerable. Well, when someone's not receptive or when they push back, it, it, it can injure me. Yeah. And so, um, and in creating an environment where they feel comfortable, you know, it's still pretty difficult because, you know, with the way things move at my particular clinic, you know, there's, I'm in with someone in room seven, but room 11 also needs me in room two. Someone's crying and there's a patient waiting for me in the waiting room that had an appointment with me. So it's a lot of juggling at the same time um, to be present within that chaos. I can only do with God's help, Mm. with God's grace and mercy. Um, I pray often, not just for my patients, but so that I can be still enough to listen so that he can speak through me in a way that doesn't imply my own biases and my, my own judgments. Um, as an educated Latina who was raised in the States and went to college, I mean, you can imagine how much I have to carry. And I try not to bring that into a room mm-hmm where there's someone that's completely different from me to not impose my own values and my beliefs on them, but at the same time provide a sense of acceptance and God's love, which is I can only do with God sitting next to me and Jesus holding my hand, honestly. Um, You know, the stories that are told to me Sometimes I have a difficult time letting them go when I lay my, my, my head on my pillow. And I have a great partner that um, really understands that I need extra moments of self-care, of peace when I get home. Um, it, it is difficult, um, but um, yeah, God is with me. Hmm. Why do you think it's so important when you're with these people, when when you're with the people that you serve, that that they experience through you? I mean, even if you don't say it explicitly, but that they experience through you that God sees them, that God loves them, that God values them. Well, I I think we live in a period of time that um, certain. Groups of individuals, um, certain certain people feel unsafe in our community. Um, they don't feel accepted if it's because of um, the color of their skin or their, um, you know, status in. in, in being in the states illegally or not, if it's because they um, just are different. I feel that, you know, we live in a time where um, the world is not necessarily a safe place 
Um, people don't feel accepted. People don't feel loved. People feel like they have to hide or have to hold back significant parts of themselves. Um, I, I feel that my job is unique in that I see um, experiences. I hear stories that um, a lot of people don't hear. Um, it's so important to really communicate that there are people that understand them, that can see them as a brother or sister, as a fellow, you know, mother of two, you know, like we're not, that, that we can look past these categories, um, whether it be socioeconomic status or, um, you know, just other categories that we lump people in. Um, I think it's so important to really, like we talked about, normalizing their experience, normalizing their existence as productive, unique, welcome individuals in our community and that we could relate to their struggles that I can relate to what they're experiencing even though we're so different. And I think that's something that Christ Jesus really exemplified in his ministry, right? Um, we're all brothers and sisters. We are all have the same father and um, we all deserve that love. We're, we're wrapping up a series here at Chatham Community Church on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm struck by uh, how how much it feels like you are among the blessed. And we started this series with the Beatitudes, and it talked about the poor in spirit, the meek, uh, the persecuted, the hungry and thirsty, I mean, the hungry for righteousness um, and justice and... Uh, uh, it feels like you are among them. Uh, so, how do you ex? How have you, as we've been going this through this series, how have you experienced resonance with the words of Jesus as you've been at work? You know, I I feel like every person that I see is an opportunity to show God's love or at least that they're being heard, right? Mm -hmm. That they have someone that if they're ready, because sometimes they're not, and that's okay. You know, I work at their doctor's office, so I can see them next time. Mm -hmm. But this idea of really providing them this opportunity to unload, to unpack that weight that's on their shoulders. Um, I feel that these individuals, despite everything they've gone through or they're currently going through still have such love and you know potential for amazing things um I think I am blessed by being able to care for them mm. I feel that they show me so much about resiliency 
um, about overcoming hardships, of hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with people of, you know, varying age groups. So, you know, the experience and wisdom of an older patient, the exuberance and hopefulness of a teenager, like I, I really feel fed by those um, experiences as much as I am pained and wounded by their struggle. I feel like, you know, God really is working every day in each one of their lives, and I'm just blessed that I could be maybe a little person in their journey to, you know, help them along the way, and hopefully doing the best I can with God's help, of course, to really, you know, show them a little bit of compassion and love. As far as, you know, the Sermon on the Mound, you know, I, I, I feel that, you know, the blessings that I've received from this experience and the blessings I received from other aspects of my life as being a mother, a sister, a daughter, a wife, I feel that God allowing me to be vulnerable in those experiences can allow me and give me the strength to be vulnerable in that exam room, sharing maybe a little bit of education about, you know, whatever it is that they're coming for to help them be their healthier self. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> you can ask me again, though. Yeah, okay. no, no, it's it's quite all right. Uh, I mean, I, I hear you say that... <clears throat> part of the way you experience the Sermon on the Mount is you get to witness God's work in the lives of the blessed. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, and I think also there's a role, you talked about anxiousness uh, a few times, mm. and, uh, you know, one of the, the invitations in the Sermon on the Mount is to not be anxious about anything. And so um, uh, part of the what you do is that you help bring down people's barriers so that they can have a choice to release anxiousness and live differently mm-hmm. and live differently. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonia, thank you so much for, for uh, spending some time with us and uh, sharing some of your story and uh, the great gift that, uh, that God has given to you and the great gift that you are able to give to others. We're so grateful to have had you with us. Thank you.